Carolina Hurricanes will open up the season October 4th against the New York Islanders. If you are listening to this on October 4th, it's tonight. You don't have to wait any longer. Yay! Adam Gold and Alec Campbell, we cover the Canes for you here at WRALsportsfan.com and 99.9 The Fan. And uh, I want to get into the roster, uh, which I believe Rod Brindamore got into before Caniac Carnival on Sunday. We saw, for the most part, what we are going to see on uh, against the Islanders Thursday night which means that uh, the 23 guys, actually 22 because Victor Rask is still on the roster. Uh, here's the uh, – I'll give you the breakdown, then we'll get into it, Alec. Uh, we have Sebastian Ajo, Martin Nietzsche, Victor Rask, obviously injured. Jordan Stahl, Lucas Walmark will be the centers. Phil Giuseppe, Andrei Svechnikov, Tavo Teravine, and Justin Williams, the right wingers. Michael Ferlin, Warren Fogel, Jordan Martinuk, Brock McGinn, Valentin Zikoff, are left-wing options on defense, Calvin DeHaan, Justin Falk, Hayden Fleury, Dougie Hamilton, Brett Pesci, Jacob Slavin, Trevor Van Reemsdyke, and then Scott Darling and Peter Morazic in goal. By the way, all of those positions were listed alphabetically. Oh, well done by you. We don't want to give anybody uh, the impression that we are playing <laughs> favorites. So let's get to the uh, roster. We've seen... None of them are my favorite. No, <laughs> we've we've seen six preseason games. Um I think the two against Nashville were the most telling in that the first game against Nashville out there, I don't think the Predators played all that well, but I thought it was Carolina's best game. And the game here against Nashville, we saw an NHL game complete with feistiness. Mm -hmm. I loved it. Yeah, I think the first game was highlighted by Scott Darling. I think that was that's the first thing that comes to mind yeah. for me from that game. There were some good moments during that game, as there have been for most of the preseason so far. There were a lot of bad defensive moments in that first Nashville game. And then they came here to Raleigh, and I think much like a lot of the other preseason games that occurred, because the Hurricanes played some pretty good rosters this preseason. When you look at the the roster they faced first game in Tampa, Tampa Bay, right, yeah. That was that was a very good roster they saw, but it was the first game for them. Yeah. And so I, I think as we've noted going along through the preseason, and Rod Brindamore's brought this up a bunch of times, those were just a bunch of veteran guys that were trying to ease into the season. Well, we get to game six, and I think that still kind of was the case for Nashville. But, you know, they're six games in now, and they've got to be sure that they're ready to go for opening night on yeah. their season. Now, I still think, because John Forsen brought this up to me after the game the other night, he still thinks that there, were some, there was some of that attitude among the Predators players after game six of the preseason where they were like, oh, <laughs> these, these young bucks kind of feel like playing a hockey game today. <laughs> and that's why I think it got so testy in there. Oh, it absolutely did. Which was awesome to see. Yeah. But I think there was that element, but certainly there was a lot of pushback from the Predators both, uh, both games. Um, certainly the last one, and it was good to see because I think the, the Hurricanes, from their perspective, they needed to see that kind of pushback from a team of that caliber. Yeah, they didn't get it from Tampa, As, and they didn't right. get it from the in the first game from Washington. Exactly, and I, I think, and you know, we we've joked about and laughed at Philip Forsberg, or I'm sorry, not Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, just just Forrest <laughs> Gumping the game where he scores the winning goal in overtime and heads straight for the exit. There was no unlatch, celebration. Unlatches the door himself and walks out of the rink. 
But I think that that was an indicator of them feeling like, see, see what we, we'll do to you when we want to play. <laughs> we didn't want to do this, but we did it, and now we're leaving. And I'm 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 upset that we had to get to this level tonight, but we did. And you know, it's kind of, it was almost sort of a, a middle finger type move. And but that was good for the Hurricanes because they needed to see that type of level heading into the to the to the regular season here coming up on Thursday. Yeah, I, I never looked at the box score uh, after the game. What were there, like 30 penalties called? I mean, it, there was, were, it was a parade. There were 14, I think, total. Seemed... Uh, eight, uh, eight for the Hurricanes, six for the Preds. Total? Her- that's it? That's it. J- J- there, I... were, there were more guys that went to the box, yeah. but there, there were uh, there... only 14 penalties because cu- there was a couple of them that were, like, offsetting. Okay. Right? Like uh, like when, when Furland and, right, exactly. no, and P.K. Subban – <laughs> went together for for getting in the scuffle, but and the Hurricanes only capitalized once, right? And they gave up two on the other end. So Carolina's but, power play for the first time looked very very shaky. It did look really bad. It did. But hey, I think maybe the solution to the atmosphere is just give free tickets away every game. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back into that in another podcast. Um, look. It, it, I, I've been very impressed with a bunch of guys, uh, and I. I'm looking at this roster, and this is what we're dealing with. The median age on Carolina's roster is 25. There are 11 players 24 years of age and younger on this team. There have there are more or as many players in their 30s as in their teens. If Svechnikov and Natchez are still teenagers, mm-hmm. Jordan Stahl just turned 30. Justin Williams, 37 on opening night. It's the only two guys in their 30s. Um, there are five rookies on this team. There are four other players who have two years or less of NHL experience. And there are five additional new faces. It is a remarkable roster overhaul from a guy like Tom Dundon who said after the season, remember the press conference? Yeah. He said, uh, I, I and I believe I asked him the question: Does this team need a roster shakeup? And he went, "Yes." And then sort of backtracked and said, "Well, we, maybe we make no changes." Well, they made a lot of changes, including the uh, the trading of Jeff Skinner, one of the most popular players in recent memory, including trading two f- no, number five overall draft picks in Noah Hannafin and uh, Elias Lindholm. They were both taken fifth overall in their respective draft years. Uh, So they moved out popular young players. I think the trade of Hannafin and Lindholm was a culture change for Carolina. And the Skinner thing was, and we talked to, uh, you know, during the Fan Ask Away extravaganza here, I asked Don Dundon point blank, did you even get to the point where you were thinking about offering Jeff Skinner? A contract. The answer was no. We hadn't, you know, it just hadn't worked. So all all of that talk, they were they were not going to offer Jeff Skinner a contract beyond this year, which is maybe why the return wasn't so great. We don't know. Cliff Pooh could end up being something, but it's a completely different roster. And the thing I like the most about it is that there is a feistiness and a physical element to so many players that will be on the ice, especially in the opener. Yeah, I think that they had to do that. There isn't a sports cliche I hate more than 
if you keep doing the same things over and over and it doesn't work, then that's the definition of insanity. Right. Because, no, number one, it's not the definition of insanity, right. A. B, it's just a dumb saying to say. Right. But that said, the spirit of that saying is true where, like, this team kept doing the same things for years and years and years. And when you have a season like they had last year, the only solution is then to <laughs> change things. Right. They had to change. Right? I mean, yeah. you, you have to do it for a number of reasons. To change, you know, the chemistry of the team, to change the perception by the fans, give people new hope, change the vibe, all of that stuff. Change the voice in the room when it comes to head coach Rod Brindamore, yeah. right? All of those things kind of contribute. And when they start to get stale, you got to do something. So so there's that, there's that aspect of it. The physicality part, I think, is interesting because I talked to John Forsen about this after the sixth preseason game, and he seemed to think that that was the first time that he'd really seen that edge creep up into the Hurricanes game. I tend to disagree a little bit in that I think I've seen it a little more throughout the preseason. I agree with you. But maybe that's a relative thing for us because well, we, haven't, true, yes. we haven't seen it yeah. enough. So even the slightest uptick in the physicality edge for this team seems like a giant thing. and and, and But now the other night I think it certainly was ramped up. Michael Furland – you know, just running Roman Yossi in the first period was one thing. He got Miko Salamaki later right. in the period. Then he and Subban got it. Subban was being a pest all game long, right? And so it was elevated in that game for sure. The other thing, too, is you mentioned all the all, – we, we talk about all the changeover and you mentioned all the turnover and all that stuff. The interesting part about it for me is that even though there was a ton of changeover, I'm not sure that there were that many spots open through training camp. You know, the Victor Rask thing sort of right. opened things up a little bit more, but I kind of felt like we knew what the roster was going to be except for maybe one player and who was going to be that extra defenseman on the team. But for all the roster turnover, I mean, Valentin Zikoff was given a one-way one-way uh, a two-year a two-year one-way, one-way contract. Right. That's pretty much that's that's a that's that's a roster spot. Yeah. We all sort of assumed that Andrei Sveshnikov and Marty Natchez were going to be on this team. I assumed that Phil DiGiuseppe was going to be on this team. I, I, there was never a, really a question for me. I think that fourth-line center might have been a question. Yeah, They brought jo- Jordan Martinook over. You know, He could have filled that void potentially. He still might. And he still might. I mean, I don't, we don't know who's going to be the uh, fourth-line center opening night. It could be him. Correct. He still might. But it was really that who was going to be that extra forward they were going to carry and who was going to be the guy who is the healthy scratch on defense. And that turned out to be Warren Fogle, for now, anyway. Could be someone else. Could be an Andrei Svezhnikov, if that's the way they decide to go for it. I know you're kind of in the camp that thinks that Andrei Svezhnikov might not be as regular as you think he will be. Yeah, I mean, look, I I do want to get into that. The... um, just to, to get get to uh, the point of the roster and that there weren't a lot of actual spots open, uh, I think they went into this training camp with more of an open mind uh, with maybe three or four guys who ended up in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think at the beginning of training camp, they expected uh, Alexi Sarella to make more of a push for a spot. Um, we know Yanni Kokkonen, based on the first two games or so, 
we thought, okay, this guy's going to make the team. He was playing with Williams and Stahl, and we thought, okay, they really like him, really smart player, and I do think will be a either a Hurricane or he'll be an NHL or somewhere else. Uh, I think this year. I think he'll he'll either be up here or he'll be included in some sort of a deal. Uh, I think sooner rather than later. He's still just, I, I think he's basically 20 years old. So maybe he stays one more year in the AHL because he didn't have a great year when he went down last year. I think Warren Fogle surprised a lot of people in how ready he was to be an NHL player. Uh, I've had the conversation, and other people have brought it up to me independently. He reminds me of the Eric Cole that made the team in training camp in 2001. I'm not saying he's going to be as good a player as Eric Cole. If he is as good a player as Eric Cole, then awesome. Right. That will be one of the great coups uh, of the Ron Francis drafting regime because Fogel was, I think, a third or fourth round pick a few years back. Uh, but he's big. He can kill penalties. I don't know if he's suited for a top-line guy, a top-line role with Ajo and Teravon and where he's played the last couple of games. Seems like he can play on just about any any line the way he plays. I think he, he can play throughout the lineup, but I want to I, I want to get to combinations in a second, but – my thoughts on Svechnikov and Natchez, who were both, yes, they were gonna, they're gonna be, they were gonna make the roster. There's no way they were not making the roster unless they looked lost in training camp. I don't think either looked lost. I think they looked lost at times, and they looked really good at times. So it was a, as you would expect, a mixed bag. My thoughts on Svechnikov are, there are gonna be plenty of nights where he's gonna watch. He. I'll be surprised if he plays more than 60 games, then he has the light bulbs gone on and he's been really, really good, not just for an 18 year old, but just good because I do think there's going to be a a, barring injury. There's going to be plenty of nights where he's going to need just the night off, sit up in the press box, watch the game from there uh, because you just need a break. It's going to be that, that adjustment is going to be really hard for him. He's never played against men. Marty Natchez has played against men in the Czech League. He'll be more apt, even though he's much lighter, he'll be more apt to deal with playing against NHL players than uh, than Svechnikov. But I see plenty of nights where he's going to sit out. So, uh, real, real quick, because the top line matters because Sebastian Ajo is transitioning to center. And I think we found out that to get the best out of Ajo and Teravainen, at this point, they need to be together, yeah. like Jordan Spieth and uh, and Justin Thomas. Back to another cliche: <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. As far as those dudes right. go, but they've proven that. Who would you put up with him? I mean, Aho Aho looked. I I think incompetent is a strong word in terms of a center. I don't think that's the case for him. But he looked a little bit uncomfortable throughout preseason until he played with Teravine right. a couple weeks ago. Last two games. Yeah, last, last two games. The last two games, it was a completely different player. He played great in Washington. Uh, I thought he played a pretty good game against Nashville. I don't think anybody played a great game against Nashville. I think the guys had their uh, had their spots. I just wonder, even though they didn't play together at Kaniac Carnival against the, the Predators, I wonder if Michael Furland ultimately starts uh, the season with Ajo and Teravainen to give them a bona fide yeah physical presence. Well, I think it has to be yeah, it, it has to be a guy of that of that ilk if you ask me. And I think there are four guys that that stand out for me. And that would be Furlan would be one. Right. The other one would be Brock McGinn yeah. might be another guy. 
Um, you know, Phil DiGiuseppe potentially could play. One one person would probably have to play on their on their offside, if that were the case. I think, but he's a guy who who hustles, and then Warren Fogle would be the other one. Those right. those four guys for me are effective, efficient, physical players. Right, right. They're they're not the flashiest guys. They're not going to score you, you know, thirty goals. They might score you fifteen to twenty goals a year on the high end, but they're going to hustle. They're going to create space, and they're going to be physical every single shift. And that's that's only there to help Aho and Teravainen create space for each other. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I also think that you can make an argument that uh, depending on how dialed in he is, that Valentin Zikoff could provide something to that line as well. I think Zikoff has opened my eyes uh, to being more than just a guy who can stand in front of the net and create traffic and he has good hands in front of the goal. He's actually done a pretty good job in the corners, getting pucks out. He's got a longer reach than mm-hmm. I than I remembered from a year ago. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, did he come in in better shape? I'm not sure. Uh, I didn't read anything to the into the fact that he sat for uh, the game against Nashville uh, at Kaniac Carnival. I think he's going to be in the opening night lineup. Well, he- He's one of those guys to me that does something so well that the the where you lose him and other play he he offsets all of his deficiencies by the things that he does really well, especially that this team needs to have done really well. Right. So like I'm also I'm also inclined to say I don't really care about the rest of his game (laughs) because he's so good in front of the net on the power play finding the puck. Like there are dudes that just have that ability, man. Yeah, and it's it's not something you can teach. But he's got great hands around the net. He digs pucks out of corners yeah. like that, uh, and and gets to the gets to the goal. You saw how he scored the other day, where he he gets the puck down low, banks it off of the the goaltender and yeah. scores. I mean, that was a classic Valentin Zekov type play. I mean, I, it reminds me. I, I used to play soccer with a guy who was just a terrible athlete, and he was he was. Uh, I'm not going to just call Valentin Zikov a terrible. No, I mean, I'm not actually. I shouldn't say that this kid was a terrible athlete, but he just was kind of. And I don't know Zikov this way, but he was kind of lazy, right? But and he was kind of a huskier fella, mm-hmm. but he was a center forward, and he just freaking raked, man, and he knew exactly <laughs> where, like, the way that he. The way that he figured out to expend the least amount of energy right. was to figure out how to put himself in the right spots to get rebounds and pick up trash goals sure. and do all that stuff. And he was super good at it. We call that smart. It, it was we very call, we smart. We call that being smart. It was very smart. Like This was a kid who just didn't want to do any extra work ever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so he figured out how to do that. And that's how I kind of view a Valentin Zikov. I don't know him to that degree, so maybe that's not the case. But he's he knows where to be at the right times, yep. and he has the hands and the coordination to get it done well enough that the rest of his game for me is sort of okay. I'll take I'll take the average. I think Zikov's going to get like forty percent of his ice time on power plays. I mean, maybe it's not quite that. And high. He's great there, but yeah, and he really because he does provide something that the Hurricanes have sorely lacked on the power play, and that is a net front presence. I, I'm. I'm going to guess here real quick, and then I want to move to the defense and then the defining uh, reason why the Hurricanes will or will not uh, be a playoff-caliber team. Um, I think they're going to start the season with Martinuk in the middle on the fourth line, and I don't know who's going to play with him back there. Um, I'm not sure that Walmart had a really good start to the preseason, and then I think tailed off a little bit. 
if they didn't desperately need an actual bona fide center on the roster, then I'm not sure. I think Walmart might have been sent back. He's a good player. He, I don't think he's top two line center good, uh, and uh, you can you're not playing him ahead of uh, Natchez or Stahl. So to me, he's not really a traditional fourth line center. It will depend on how they decide to set up their lines. If they're going with, hey, look, our checking line is McGinn, Stahl, Williams. That's our checking line. Our fourth line just going to be a line. Then maybe Walmart uh, gets the nod. But somebody's going to have to watch night one. And if I was making a list of, right now, their best 12 out of the 13 available forwards, to me, Walmart is 13. Hmm. And Martinook has done such a great job killing penalties. He and Fogel have arguably been better than Stahl and McGinn, and yeah. they're great. Um, but I think Martinook will be in the lineup because of that. Um, you know, your number two penalty killing unit for forwards. Um, so just kind of, I'm just kind of guessing here because I really have no inside information. Uh, but I've liked what I've seen from Jordan Martinook. So yeah, I mean, I, I I don't have a ton to add to that, only because. You know the the penalty killing and the special teams aspect of Jordan Martinook's game puts him over the top. Do I think he's all around a better center? No, he's than not. Lucas Walmark. No, the answer is, is no. He there. can play it. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's he, what I'm he can play it. And you know, if you if you stick him on that fourth line, and you let him basically give spell everyone else for a couple of minutes yeah. and play a physical brand of hockey, then that's probably good enough. Walmark's been I, Walmark's been sort of up and down for me throughout the preseason. I I have it necessarily disliked what I've seen from him I think he's much more of a finesse player than he is a physical player so in some respects being a fourth line center is sort of fish out of water based on that although you know that's just where inevitably he will be given the rest of the center depth on the team but yeah I would I would agree with that I think Jordan Martinuk's been a tremendous penalty killer he and Warren Fogle have wreaked absolute havoc on the penalty kill so far this season, he's got a shorthanded goal, does he not? Martin, Martin yeah, the steal from Fogel right. on the pass in front. So, right. yeah, I, I, I think that that's completely feasible, unless Brenda Moore and they, they feel better about having a guy who they know a little bit better start the season in Walmart. Yeah, maybe, and, and, yeah, just have a, an actual center right. start the season. I, I could see that. Um, well, it, again, they, they've got options. That there is some, even though they don't have a lot of guys who can play center. There is some versatility uh, among a lot of their forwards can flip sides. You know, you can play them on either side. You could play Phil uh, on the left, even though he's been playing on the right. Uh, look, Svechnikov is a left shot. I mean, it's feasible you could see him playing on the left side uh, of a line. I mean, I don't think he'll play with Aho and Taravainen, but uh, I do think, uh, and he'll be in the lineup on opening night. There's no way this team, this franchise is going to opening night without Svechnikov and Natchez on the ice. Right. Zero chance of that. Uh, that is definite, definitely uh, politics to an extent. But opening night, if, the, if if they open on the road, I could see Svechnikov possibly not being in. Because uh, I think he is in that 11, 12, 13 range of their available forwards. Well, they, they open on a back-to-back, too. So you open him up he may not play at the next home, then, right. he, then he may not play on the road the next day. All right. Calvin DeHaan, Justin Falk, Hayden Fleury, Dougie Hamilton, Brett Pesci, Jacob Slavin, Trevor Van Riemsdyk. Uh, that's a pretty good seven defenseman. Because Hayden good. Fleury had a good camp. 
Uh, and I thought uh, in the preseason, the games that he played, I thought he was, for the most part, really good. Um, but he's not going to crack that top six. That's tough for him because <laughs> he was here all last mm-hmm. year. Uh, but that that is a very solid core. Yeah, I think that you mentioned it earlier. If Hayden Flurry doesn't play, well, then that gives you extremely good depth on the defense yeah. core, right? Yep. And I think we'll have to see how Trevor Van Riemsdyk does here in the first couple of games. I thought it was interesting to hear when you had a conversation with him about how there were aspects of playing on the offside that he liked more right. <laughs> than playing on the, the on his on his regular side. So I think they're both solid players, and if anything, you can take solace knowing that the Hurricanes have a, a strong defense core. And I'm 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 in a deep one where they can go, they can go to the healthy scratch every once in a while and not feel like they're going to lose a lot. No. And kudos to to Flurry for the work that he's put in, especially in the off season. Last year was not very good. We're still waiting. He got through it. <laughs> he, he got through it. Right. It was it was a struggle for him, and maybe that's the case for first year. NHL players, man, like it, it, it takes a while for you to feel comfortable, like feeling like you belong, those types of things. He lost weight. He's been much more physical throughout this preseason yeah. so far. I think we're going to see him get his first goal at some point during this year, <laughs> hopefully, believe, right? Because I, I actually think that this is going to be a better offensive defense core. I know that throughout the 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 off season. They've been lauded as kind of, oh, well, you know, Darling and Brozic might not have to do a whole lot because of this defensive core in front of them. They're going to play such great defense. And I'm not so sure that's the case. They haven't shown us so far, albeit <laughs> with, with different pairings right. and, and preseason things happening. There's been a lot of, of defensive inefficiencies, a lot of incohesive defensive play to me, and that was a symptom of, of their game last yeah, year. Meanwhile, I think we're going to see Justin Falk move into uh, more positions where he can score more. I think there's more of a ceiling for Jacob Slavin to climb in terms of scoring output. Dougie Hamilton is that's that's a major part of his game as being an yeah. offensive defenseman. We'll see how some of the other guys develop, but I think that that's going to be as much of a plus for this team as maybe the defensive capabilities. I think I told you in one of our uh, intermission. Uh, reports that Pesci looked so good in the game in Nashville when he was essentially the best NHL defenseman that the Hurricanes brought. Uh, all respect to Van Riemsdyk and Fleury. Uh, Pesci is the best of that trio. And he, they, everybody else they brought was, you know, they are in the minor leagues. Um, I thought that Pesci was so good in that game that it opened, I think it opened Rod Brindamore's eyes to say, you know what? I can pair Pesci and Slavin together and then figure out other combinations from that. And I will not be shocked. I said it to you the other day. I will not be shocked if Slavin and Pesci start the season together and we figure out maybe it's DeHaan and Hamilton on the second pair, uh, which I think would be a very good pair. Uh, and maybe Justin Falk is a third-pair defenseman knowing that he is on the top power play unit so that he'll get plenty of time. and He'll get shorthanded time because actually Justin's pretty good shorthanded. Um, so if you have a, a three-time All-Star on your third defensive pairing, it's pretty good. So I, I, I like the way they're set up. Uh, there may be they, – they might not have – 
uh, a Norris Trophy candidate mm-hmm. on the blue line, and they probably don't. But I agree with you with Slavin. I think we're seeing more and more from Slavin the offensive idea starting to really come through. We saw it last. He had over thirty points last year, thirty points last year. So he had he is starting to develop that part of his game, and I think he'll take another step forward this year. And he's quarterbacking the second power play unit. Um, we'll see if he's worked on that that forehand. <laughs> attack the weaknesses man they know about the back end now they know about it and you'll see him in shootouts he and uh, hamilton is apparently good in shootouts too uh so i i do i i, I really like their core let's get to the uh to the the make or break mm-hmm. so as of this recording scott darling did not practice today uh george alves was the uh man the other goal peter mrazik was in that so apparently it uh, it may keep Darling out of the opener. Uh, we don't know if he was going to start the opener anyway. He played so well in Nashville, I thought he might have won the job right then. Um, but Peter Mrazek is the only one of these two who has been a number one and been successful at being a number one. I thought he was pretty good in training camp. I don't think he was amazing. I think he was pretty good. Hard to get a read when you have so many different combinations in front of you and so many guys who are going to be in the minor leagues in front of you. But I thought Mrazek was pretty good. So I think it's a safe assumption at this point that he'll he'll probably get the net against the Islanders. Does Mrazek have to be the guy, or is it? I mean, what? How do you read? How do you read the way this is going to shake out? I mean, I think there are a few different ways you can look at what ends up being the most successful utilization of both goaltenders. I think that there's a possibility that if Morozik shows himself to be the best goaltender and he becomes your de facto number one and Scott Darling becomes your number two, that maybe that's the best scenario because that's where Scott Darling was the most successful, was as a backup goaltender in Chicago. So I could see that that playing itself out. I could see the idea that if you can't figure out who your number one goaltender is, then you don't have good goaltending right. happening. I could see how that is. I could see how Scott Darling maybe becomes the goaltender we've hoped that he becomes, given the offseason training regimen, the comfort level being mm-hmm. built over the offseason in terms of his sort of life settling down a little bit, getting a little more settled in the area. I think that's a big deal. Got a great Dane. Look, he got a, he got himself a dog. Got himself a dog. He, his girlfriend's got, here. He got his girlfriend. <laughs> He's got all the Halo ice cream he can eat. I mean, things are good for Scott. They're they're right. as good as they're going to get, right? <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the play will get better and that that'll right. elevate the life even more. But on the on the on the home front, every you've done everything that you can do outside of playing the games and being successful in the games to 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 be prepared. Right. So, we'll just have to see. I mean, he's he's very athletic for a, as tall of a guy as he is. He's just a little bit clunky around the net and I noticed in that last preseason game, this was before he even got hurt that he right. just didn't look the same as he looked in the fifth game he, against Nashville. Right. I mean, I had somebody tweeting at me when I said Scott hasn't looked great. They took him out. We thought that he was going to play the full 60, and he goes out. Maybe it was just best to get him out at this point because he'd given up three goals and he didn't look that great, and he was just like, get me out of here. Somebody tweets me like, how so? None of those goals were his fault. I'm like, 
doesn't really have anything to do with the goals right. given up. <laughs> it's you know, Trip Tracy uses the 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 phrase economy of movement a lot. Right. The economy of motion. And that's just not there with Scott Darling a lot of nights. It and it was and it wasn't there the other day. In the game at Nashville. It was. One of the reasons much more right. so. And one of, and that's the reason why he played so well. Right. Is because he didn't get himself caught out of position. Scott seems like like, dude, the net's over there. Right. You need to be closer to that. So yeah, I I that's the way I felt about Darling against uh Nashville here this past Sunday. Uh I thought Mrazic was better, even though Mrazic gave up a couple of goals too. Um, again, I don't think Carolina was great uh, in that game in terms of attention to detail uh, in their own end. But it, uh, the psych- to me, the number one thing Darling couldn't deal with last year, and I know he came in out of shape, the psychology and the responsibility of being the guy. Yeah, I, I think those are huge things. So for, for anyone in any profession, but especially as a goaltender in the National Hockey League, I mean, so much of it is mental. Yeah, so it is. much of it is 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 confidence yep. and your mentality, and you know you don't get those things unless you do all the things off the ice that you need to do in order to be prepared to play. And at least you can have that peace of mind this year. Can can he lose himself in the game? Right, right. because when you lose yourself in the game, you're not thinking; you're just you're just reacting. Mise en place. Exactly. Adam, mise en place is a uh, it's a French term. <laughs> I learned it from a chef. And basically, what it means is everything is in place. And right. the, the, the the point the point is is that the chefs on the line in the in in the kitchen, when those orders come in, and it's a it, you know you're rocking 200 covers, 200 300 covers on a Saturday night, you know they ain't got time to be to be looking for stuff, right? <laughs> they got to know where all their stuff is. Everything's got to be ready to go, so they can just turn and go like and cook. That. And so mise en place, mise en place, yeah, and 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 you know that that's. That's a very important part of, and that, that's where the training comes in. That's where you know everything else comes in. All right, I'll, so I'll, we'll close on this uh, final question for the Carolina Hurricanes: mise en place. <laughs> I, I, I mean, for now, yeah, I, I, I think that, I, to me, I think that it's been a pretty comprehensive training camp, and I feel good about the, 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 the way that they've gone about it. Yeah. And the way that they've evaluated players and the way that they've come to the decisions that they've made for for the oh, at least the opening night roster and stuff like that. Um, so the, to me, they're as ready as they're going to be at this point. Like I, yeah. I'm not going into the season with tons of questions about who's who and who should play where. I, I don't think there are that many. I think I think I, I, at least for me, I feel pretty good about the guys that are here. What they're trying to do, not just for this season, but for seasons to come as well. Because I don't know how this season is going to turn out, but at least there are guys like Andrei Sveshnikov and Martin mm-hmm. Natchez and Warren Fogel and Yanni Kwokinen waiting waiting in the wings, and you know other guys like that that are here to look forward to. If this year turns out to be more of a learning process for them than anything else. Yeah, look, I, um, Sebastian Ajo still, still, there's still places to go for him. Who oh knows what he's going to be? Right, right. He, he had uh, what 65 points a year ago, led the team, uh, and he took the first 15 yeah. games off of scoring goals. I mean, Doug, so. guys like Dougie Hamilton yeah. are going to be here for the next little while. So there, you know, I think he's going to be a good player here. No reason for me to believe otherwise. Yeah. So at least right now, they feel like the 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 building blocks for 
good things to happen are there. Look, I, 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 I think that because Rod Brindamore is the head coach, I, I'm, go- I'm just going to assign a certain measure of improvement in the attention to detail areas. I think that they, players will not be on the ice thinking about things as much. I like the style they seem to be uh, mm-hmm. Im- implementing, uh, but I, I, you know, I'm kind of biased when it comes to Brindamore. Uh, and for that matter, the impact of the new captain, Justin Williams. I think those two players, or players, they were players, they were teammates, they were line mates in 2006. Uh, I think there is there is a connection between them and a uh, a credibility factor that they have that will matter over the course of this year. I'm not going to make any predictions, uh, but I do think that if the goaltending holds up, then it's a playoff caliber team. Nets. Agree. If, if the goaltending Agree. holds up, it's a playoff caliber team. All right. So uh, enjoy uh, enjoy the the hockey whenever we get to it. Uh, if you're listening to this on October fourth, uh, Canes and the Islanders uh, at uh, PNC Arena for Alec Campbell. I'm Adam Gold. This has been Fan Ask Away, and we'll see you soon.